So um, there were two holidays this week. Did you know that? Man, you guys are quiet today. What was last Sunday? Valentine's Day, National Singles Awareness Day. Right. So here's here's the deal. My wife loves Valentine's Day and it's a big deal in her family. And and she's like, we want to love on our kids so that they know, you know, how to treat their spouses when they get married. And so she goes all out on Valentine's Day. She buys candy and chocolate and all kinds of stuff. So on Valentine's Day, our kids got up on Sunday morning and they're giving these gifts and man, they just loved it. We're so excited. What was Monday? President's Day. And so I have a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old, and we were telling them about, you know, the next holiday after Valentine's Day is President's Day. Early in the morning, my five-year-old comes in and says, what are we getting today? I, I said, we don't get anything on President's Day. And she said, Dad, it's President's Day. Where's my gift? Listen, we're continuing our series through the book of Isaiah, and I want to encourage you. Uh, Joe has challenged us to go to get on verse or in your Bible or whatever uh, way you read God's word and follow along through this year and just dive into this ancient prophetic book that we are going to be studying. Uh, today, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter eight. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, your mobile devices uh, or any other form of Bible that you're using, we're going to be in verses uh, th- 11 through 22. Now, as I read to you in just a second, this ver- these verses, what I would like to ask you to do is think through two choices, two options. You see, the people of Isaiah's day had a choice, trust God or trust themselves. And you're going to see how this plays out in scripture today through this text. But let's just look at what it says. I'd like you to stand as we just honor God's word today as we read through these verses in Isaiah chapter 8. The Lord has given me a strong warning. Now, anytime the Bible says the Lord has given me a strong warning, it's something we ought to pay attention to, right? He says not to what? Think like everyone else does, he said. Don't call everything a conspiracy like they do. And don't live in dread of what frightens them. Make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He is the one you should fear. So right now, he already is saying there's two options. You can continue to live in dread, but don't think like other people. Instead, trust who? The Lord of heaven's armies. Then he said, he is the one that, you should, that should make you tremble. He will keep you safe, but to Israel and Judah, he will be a stone that makes people stumble. Why will they stumble? Because they are trusting in themselves rather than trusting in God. A rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many will stumble and fall, never to rise again. They will be snared and captured. But instead, preserve the teachings of God and trust his instruction to those who follow me. I will wait for the Lord for who has turned away from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my hope in him. I and the children the Lord has given me serve as signs and warnings to Israel from the Lord of heaven's armies who dwells in his temple on Mount Zion. Someone may say to you, let's ask the mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead. With their whisperings and mutterings, they will tell us what to do. But shouldn't people ask God for guidance? Should the living seek guidance from the dead? 
Look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. They will go from one place to another, weary and hungry. And because they are hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. They will look up to heaven and down at the earth. But wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish, dark despair. They will be thrown out into the darkness. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for your word. And I pray that you would enlighten us today. God, I pray that you'd make our hearts malleable. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. God, we pray that you would change us from the inside out as we walk through this message today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. Now, when it talks about conspiracies and it talks about living in dread and changing the way you think, why are the people of Judah? And by the way, let me just remind you, it's been 200 years since Israel was one nation. After the reign of Solomon, his son becomes king of the southern part of Israel, what we call Judah. And one of his generals becomes the king of the northern part of Israel and keeps that name Israel. So what used to be Israel is now two separate countries. And he says the heart of the the Jews, which is why we call them Jews, is because they're from Judah, are filled with fear. What's going on? Why are they afraid? Why are they listening to conspiracies? Well, you need to understand the context historically what's going on so that you can understand the fear that's filling their hearts. So Judah is down here. Israel is here. Uh, Up here is Syria, modern day Syria. And there was a kingdom of Damascus. And then there was the kingdom of Israel. And then... To the southwest of Judah was a a group of city-states called the Philistines. And they were all afraid of the big boy on the block, the one that was kind of the superpower at that time, that was taking territory, taking names, and um, kicking tail, which is, I think, what the Hebrew says. But what they said is, the Assyrians are going to come. Either we can become vassals of the state. In other words, we can, we can become their servants and become their slaves. Or we can join together because none of us can stop them by ourselves. But if we start a confederation and bring people together, we can stand against them. And so the king of Damascus, the king of Israel, and the king of the Philistines says, we want you to join with us. Now, you need to understand the Assyrians were a terrifying group of people that was a world power. It was the most feared army in the world. It was a professional army. If you were an Assyrian male at the age that that could fight, you went through a three-year rotation. They just just kept repeating itself. The first year you would go into service, you would physically build roads and bridges, and you would physically build up the kingdom, the empire of the Assyrians. The second year after you had been physically chiseled, Uh, You would go into the army and you would fight battles and take over territories. The third year, you would get to spend with your family without any worries or fears. And then you'd start the, the process all over again. Not only were they a feared physical army, but they are also experts in psychological warfare. Uh, And they loved to terrorize those that they were going to fight. Now, we know from history... And if, and if you have a sensitive stomach or a vivid imagination, just tune out for a few seconds. I'm going to tell you what they did to scare people. They would go besiege a city. And if that city did not surrender, they would make the people pay. We have stories of them 
besieging a city. After they take the city over, they took all of the young men and women and killed them and then took the skulls and built a pyramid of skulls at the front gate so everyone would know not to mess with the Assyrians. We know of other uh, battles where the kings of Assyria would go in and after a prolonged battle, they would literally skin alive their enemies and take the skins of those people and nail them to the walls of the city. And if that weren't enough, they would report all of this on clay tablets and they would send it into every country so that people would know if you mess with the Assyrians, this is what's going to happen. We are going to make you suffer. We are going to hurt you. We are going to make you die slowly. So either submit to us or we're coming for you. And we know that the psychological warfare was effective. We read in history of uh, a king who found out the Assyrian army was marching toward them. And rather than have to deal with the Assyrians, the king took a sword and killed himself because he didn't want to die in a horrible way. Now, you can understand why these city-states around Judah are saying, let's form a confederation so we're better together than we are apart. And they go to Judah and they said, we want you to join. And the king of Judah, whose name was Ahaz, that Joe talked about last week, says... Uh, You know, I just think that neutrality is the best way to go. So we're just going to remain neutral. And those cities, uh, those empires surrounding Judah just said, you know what? We will be better off if we put a king on the throne who is more to our liking and mindset. And so they decided that they were going to attack Judah. Now understand, the people of Judah are surrounded on all sides. They're afraid of the Assyrians coming. Now they're afraid of their neighbors coming and their cousins who they've been, you know, from the nation of Israel. And they also know that there are some forces who are subversive inside the nation of Judah who are talking about an internal coup to assassinate the king and put another king on the throne. They're terrified of that. They're terrified of being made slaves. They're terrified of dying. They're they're terrified financially. They're terrified politically. They're terrified militarily. All of these thoughts are going through their mind. And Isaiah is saying, don't be afraid. Now, let me show you what happens here. Um, The kingdom of Damascus up here marches on the east side of the Jordan River down to the kingdom of Eden, which is... They were allies of Judah and they attack there and they take over that country. The king of Israel marches down south to Jerusalem and besieges the capital of the Judeans and surrounds them and begins a siege. The Philistine states attack from the southwest into into Judah. And so on three sides, the people of the, the kingdom of Judah are being attacked and King Ahaz doesn't know what to do. And so Isaiah comes to him, the prophet, and he's like, you know, what should we do? And Isaiah says, trust God. And he's like, "Mm, that's one option. But what if I trusted the king of Assyria instead and reached out, reached out to him? And Isaiah's like, no, don't do that. You can't invite a monster into your home. But Ahaz is like, you know what? I'm going to trust in the king I can see rather than a God I can't. And so he reaches out to the king of Assyria, and as the old crusader from Indiana Jones in the last crusade said, he chose poorly. Now there's a message for us today, friends, that I believe we need to hear. So let's look again at the beginning part of this passage. Uh, Isaiah 8 and 11 says, the Lord has given me a strong warning not to what? Think like everyone else. 
does. He said, don't call everything a conspiracy like they do. And don't live in dread of what frightens them. So the first thing I think that we need to do is we need to understand that we shouldn't live in fear. Don't live in fear. It is first inauguration address. President FDR said the only thing to fear is fear itself. Why? Because fear is a terrible enemy. It will mess with your mind. It will mess with your heart. It will begin to make you see things that aren't there. The definition of fear is anticipation of something happening, not fear of what's happened, but the anticipation. In other words, thinking about what's going to happen, imagining what's going to happen, creatively making up horrible scenarios in your mind. And the more time you spend thinking about those things, the more terror is going to happen inside of you. And what does fear lead to? It leads to anxiety and depression. Does anybody in here struggle with anxiety and depression? Most of you who do aren't going to raise your hands because you're like, I'm not raising my hand because then people see that I struggle with anxiety and depression. And I'm anxious about that. Friends, the way that we think impacts the way that we feel. And most of the time when fear has invaded our hearts and we become anxious and depressed, we imagine things way worse than what reality actually is. And we spend our time needlessly living in fear and anxiety and depression on what might happen Although most likely never will. That's why I love the French philosopher Montaigne who said 200 years ago, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. (laughs) Isaiah writes, don't think like everyone else. Why? Because unchecked fear will kill, steal, and destroy the life that God has created you for. It will kill, steal, and destroy your future. It will kill, steal, and destroy the hope that God has put inside of you. It will kill, steal, and destroy the the beautiful future that God wants you to have. So be intentional with your thoughts because the way that we think impacts the way that we feel and our minds are powerful things and our thoughts matter. That's why in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, capture every thought. Now, I don't know about you, but there are times that I'll just feel bad. I won't know why, I'll just feel bad. And I have to think to myself, why am I feeling bad? And then I remember that subconsciously I've been thinking about something that's happened. I've just been mulling it in the background over and over again. And I just feel worse and worse and worse. That's one of the ways the enemy attacks us. And Paul says, capture every thought. Recognize what's going on. When you are thinking those things, stop. Change the tape. And begin to think of other things. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. Rather you should fix your thoughts on what is. And. 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 Are those good things? So rather than filling your mind with things that bring fear. And defeat into your life. And terror. And anxiety. Think about things that are going to lift you up. Think about the good things. Think about what God is doing. Think about what God can do. Don't let the fear of your future or the pain of your past control you.
Now, Clara Barton, who was the founder of the American Red Cross, understood the power of capturing thoughts. One day, one of her friends came up to her and was reminding her of someone who had said some horrible things about her. And Clara Barton just kind of sat there stone-faced, didn't say anything. And the lady said, hey, don't you remember the horrible things that this person said about you? And Clara Barton said, no, I distinctly remember forgetting that. So capture every thought. Take charge of your thoughts because the way you think controls the way you feel. And allowing yourself to live in fear will cause you to lose hope, lose faith, and doubt God. That's why God says, don't live in dread of what frightens them. So, if we're not going to live in dread and we're not going to allow the anxiety to overwhelm us or the depression to set in, How do we deal with our fear? How do we deal with our fear? There's a story that I think is probably true. It's a story of of an eight-year-old boy who was scared of the dark. And um, his dad was trying to help him. You know, it's okay. You don't have to be afraid. He said, you know, son, when I was your age, I was scared of the dark too. In fact, I couldn't sleep without, without lights on. And he said, dad, what happened to you? And he said, well, when I was your age, your grandpa took me to a funeral of one of his friends. And I didn't know anybody there. And we got there and we were going to pay our last respects. And, and uh, he saw some friends. And so he said, I'll be right back, son. And he, he left for a few minutes. Just about that time, a gentleman walked over. He put his arm around me. He was just sobbing. And he said, son, you live your life to the very fullest. Make sure you take advantage of every opportunity. Uh, remember these days because someday you're going to look back and the, remember that these were the best times of your life. Take advantage of your life. And then patted the young man on the shoulder and walked away. A couple minutes later, his dad comes back and he says, Son, let's go pay our last respects. And he said, as he walked to the casket to pay his last respects, he looked in and was shocked to see that the dead person was the same person who was giving him life lessons just a few minutes ago. It caused him to have a panic attack. He almost fainted with fear and he was never able to sleep again without the lights on. And his son said, Dad, how did you ever overcome your fear? He said, well, it was hard. It took about five years after the funeral. He said, well, what happened? He said, well, I learned that my father's friend who died that day had a twin brother. And and he was the one who had put his arm around me. Sometimes the way that we face our fear is by naming our fear. It's by understanding. Listen. I'm going to face this with the power of God in truth and call it for what it is. Because let me tell you, if we don't, the consequences can be deadly and life-changing. I don't know how many of you follow the news, but about a year ago, there's a story of a young man by the name of Alex Kearns who was trading stocks on the website Robinhood or the app Robinhood. He started when he was a teenager. He took money from when he was a lifeguard and the money he had received from his grandparents and for his birthdays and stuff. And he invested in uh, Robinhood just as a teenager. When he got to college, they allowed him to start trading on options, which was a step up. Um, so at the age of 20, Alex had accumulated about $16,000 in his account. And, uh, one night he 
decided to make a gamble. He saw that there was an option that if it paid off, he could make thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And he knew that he could lose up to $10,000 because that was the maximum that the, uh, that he was willing to take a risk on. And so the limit, the, you know, the, the maximum he could lose is that amount of money. So he's like, it's worth it. I'm going to do it. Um, unfortunately, a couple hours went by and he realized that he had made a terrible mistake. He went online to check his Robinhood account. And it said that the deficit in his account was over $730,000. He said, how, how can that be? I, I only wagered 10000 That doesn't make any sense. There's no way I could ever repay $730,000. This is crazy. So he called uh, Robinhood and he got an automated response. He sent an email to Robinhood. He got an automated response. Um, and he called again and still he wasn't able to get anybody. And so he just waited. A couple hours later, he received another communication from Robinhood that said, um, because of your deficit, you need to begin paying this back right away. So in the next week, you need to deposit $100 $156,000. What do you do? He had no access to that kind of money. His family didn't have access to that kind of money. He was panicked. He was overcome with fear. It was leading to anxiety and depression. He talked to his parents about it and he said, I don't know what to do. I'm so sorry. I'm afraid that this is going to impact you and affect your financial future as well. This is a horrible, horrible mistake. I just wish I could get out of it. There's no hope. There's no way for me to change this. And his parents were like, it's going to be okay. We're going to figure it out. And he's like, no, I just can't do this. The next day... 24 hours after he'd found this out, his parents walked into his room and there was a sticky note on top of his laptop computer that said, open this if you're reading this. And so they opened his computer and there was a four paragraph letter to them where he had stated everything that had happened and how frustrated he was. And in the letter, he said, I don't want to die, but I don't see any way out. And that day, Alex had got on his bike and rode away and taken his life. All because of money. The next day, Robin Hood sent him an, automate, uh, an email. They had no idea what had happened. And it said, congratulations. Our internal department has investigated this claim. And you don't owe anything. Here's the deal. When... What causes us to come to that conclusion that life is no longer worth living? What causes us to come to the point where we want to give up? It's hopelessness, isn't it? It's believing that tomorrow is not going to be better than today. It's believing that our life is better to be extinguished than to live on because there is no hope of a resolution. There is no hope of a cleansing. There is no hope of, a, of redemption that our people around us would be better off without us. Do you think that Alex's family is happier without him? Or do you think they would have, even in the very worst case faced that $730,000. Do you think that money was more important than their son's life? And here's the deal, friends. I know today that there are people in this room who may be on the verge of making that decision. And there may be someone who's here today saying, you know what? I'm going to go to church and if things don't change, I'm going to end it because life is just not worth living. But here's the reality, friends. Your life matters. What you do matters. It doesn't matter what mistake you've made. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter how much of a mess your life is. There are people who care about you. There are people who love you. There are people who want you in their life. There are people who would be impacted if 
you were gone. You have no idea how much you matter to the people and the others around you. You will never know how loved you are in the hole that you will leave if you make that decision because of fear and anxiety and depression. Because there is hope, there is redemption, there is a new day tomorrow. My mom always says, Shane, don't give up. Because you have no idea what story God is going to write with your life. You have no idea. So would you turn to the person next to you today and just say, I'm glad you're here. Now, would you turn back to that person and say, I'm glad you're here. Now, if you're sitting next to someone you were hoping to date, just tell me afterward that you owe me a dinner for giving you the opportunity to talk to that person. The God of heaven, who created in you and your mother's womb, who knows you intimately, knows your emotional state, knows what you're going through, knows the circumstances of your challenges, loves you. And He created you for a purpose. And He created you for a life. One of my favorite movies is It's a Wonderful Life. You've ever seen that? If you haven't, you've been living under a rock. Go buy it, go rent it. It's the impact that we all have that we don't even begin to recognize on the lives of others. Our lives are like ripples after a pebble is thrown into a pond. Your life matters. Tomorrow can be a better day. Your story's not over. So don't you give up. Because the Lord is not done with you. 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 So what do we do? How do we put a name to our fear? Uh, John Ortberg, I was listening to the other day, talked about creating a fear inventory. This is something you can do at home. These are in your notes if you want to check them out online or whatever. But a fear inventory simply says this. Sit down with a piece of paper and a pen and write, number one, what am I afraid of? Number two, what's the worst thing that can happen? Number three, ask God, where is it you are calling me to take action today? What do I need to do? And the fourth thing you pray is, God, please remove my fears so I can live present with you today. Because when we can think logically about what's going on, the worst thing that can happen is never as bad as we imagine it to be. You lose $730,000, big deal, it's just money. My father-in-law, in wisdom, one day I was worried about money, and he said, Shane, if money can solve it, it's not a problem. It's not a problem. Money doesn't matter. Money is not worth your life. Next thing is you need to focus on the answer, not the problem. This is what I know, that God is greater than your fear. And I put that... Um, I don't even know anything about math. I'm from Indiana, but I know that that's a greater sign, right? 
God is greater than your fear. God's ability to intervene is greater than any fear you have. First John 4, 4 says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The Lord tells Isaiah to tell the king, tell the people not to be afraid. Tell them not to be anxious. Tell them not to let their fear overcome them. Rather, instead, make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. Do you know what it means to make the Lord of heaven's armies holy? It means to make him sacred. It means to make him first. It means to rely on him above all other things. The first verse that I taught my children to memorize, my great-grandma Hargrave's very favorite verse is found in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And I want to encourage you to memorize it yourself. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight because your story is not finished being written yet. There's still more to the story. Don't give up today until God redeems you and that redemption is wonderful and a testimony to all of those around you. There's a story found in 2 Kings chapter 6 that I love, man. It's about the king of Aram who wants to kill this prophet of God by the name of Elisha because Elisha keeps destroying all of his opportunities to overtake um, Israel. And so uh, he finds out through his spy network where Elisha is going to be in the city of Dothan. And he sends his army in the dark of night to surround the city so he can kill Elisha and the people there. The next morning after they're surrounded, Elisha's... uh, traveling buddy, his best friend, his servant wakes up and sees the army arrayed against him. And he goes to Elisha in a panic and he's scared to death. And he says, Elisha, what are we going to do? And this is what the Bible tells us. Elisha says to him, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Isaiah says, make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life because it's not just a battle against flesh and blood. We are fighting a spiritual battle. And I know this, that God is greater than your problems, that God is greater than your fear, that God is greater than the enemy. There's a story in Daniel chapter 10 that I love. It's a story of Daniel who is praying. He's, he's in a difficult situation. He's afraid that his life is going to be forfeit. And he begins to pray. 21 days he prays and nothing happens. On the 21st day, an angel of the Lord shows up and says, hey, I'm sorry I'm late. I was dispatched the day that you began praying praying and I, but I got there. Uh, and then I had to fight the spirit prince of Persia, which is Iran, right? Which was where we're going to send Bibles. And he said it was a fierce battle. And so I had to go get a bigger angel who was tougher than me to come and kick the tail of the spirit prince of Persia. That's in the Hebrew. Look it up. Kicked his butt. The battle is not against flesh and blood. The enemy wants to discourage you, destroy you, bring you to your knees. The Lord wants you to live a life and live it to full. Wouldn't it be nice if we had friends like Elisha who would come along us when we're scared and say, those who are with us are more than those who are against us. Lord, open his eyes. Let me encourage you. That's the beauty of the church. The beauty of the church is that God has put us all together on this journey and says, don't give up. Encourage your friend, encourage your brother, encourage your sister, because the best is yet to come. And if it's not in this life, it's in the life to come. So you hold on. Wouldn't it be nice to have somebody like that in your life? Well, friends, this is group link week. And let me just tell you, the thing that I love about group link is that it brings people together. It allows us to have a community together. 
And I hope that you'll go on group link and I hope that you'll sign up and, and become a part of a group um, because we all need each other. Robert Putnam in his book that he wrote, he was, a per, he was a Harvard professor and he wrote the study. He ended up writing a book called Bowling Alone. And in it, he says, as a rule, as a rough rule of thumb, if you belong to no groups, but you decide to join one, you cut your risk of dying over the next year in half. Isn't that remarkable? How many are, of us are interested in cutting the chances of dying in half in the next year? You raise your hand. That's why we've adopted a new slogan for our life groups here at Tomoka Christian Church. And it's, our new slogan is, join a group or die. John Ortberg writes, and everybody's normalty gets to know them, says this. One of the most thorough research projects on relationships is called the Almeida County Study. And he says that people who had bad health habits, such as smoking, poor eating habits, obesity, or alcohol use, but strong social ties live significantly longer than people who had great health habits, but were isolated. In other words, it's better to eat Twinkies with good friends than to eat broccoli alone. <laughs> now listen, we're going to have a seminar here on March 5th at 630. It's about facing depression and anxiety. According to statistics before COVID hit, 30% of the population of the United States deals with depression, anxiety. Now, I'm not great at math, but what I do know is if we are a church of 3,500, 30% is over a thousand people who need to be here. What else? The other thing that I know is maybe you don't deal with depression, anxiety, but I guarantee you know somebody that does. And you have an opportunity to be an ambassador, to be a friend, to come alongside of the people in your life and say, you know what? This is something we need to be at. Dr. Paul Alexander from California, he's a psychologist as well as the president of Hope International, which is a Christian university, is going to be zooming in with us to talk to us. He's from California, so he can't fly anywhere. But he's going to share with us about anxiety and depression. Following that, there are going to be opportunities for people to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. There are going to be prayer teams to pray with you if you're struggling with depression or anxiety. There are going to be professional counselors here, Christian counselors that we can refer you to if you need ongoing care. We're going to also have sign-ups for things like grief share and divorce care and divorce care for kids. There's going to be a, a follow-up class for seven weeks, two of them. One of them is going to be ang uh, dealing with the book Anxious for Nothing. The other one is going to be on a Tuesday morning. That's going to be on Saturday at 6.30. Uh, the other one is going to be a study through the book of Philippians on Tuesdays at 9.30. Uh, there are going to be resources available um, in our marketplace dealing with depression and anxiety, books that may be able to be a resource for you. Friends, we need to show up for this and to be a part of this because it can be life-changing for you or somebody in your life. Let me ask you a question. Do you care enough about your family or your friends to invite them? Because we know uh, Michael Phelps got up the other day. Do you know who he is? He's that swimmer that won like 21,000 gold medals. And he said, ideal depression. Athletes are all coming out. Ideal depression. Why? Because it's epidemic. All of us. I struggle with anxiety and depression. Joe struggles with anxiety and depression. There are pressures in life that we all need help for. We all need each other. So will you mark that on your calendar and come March 5th? Will you bring a friend? Will you make a difference? Will you save a life? Well, the rest of the story is this.
Ultimately, King Ahaz chooses not to trust God and he reaches out to the king of Assyria who destroys those arrayed against Judah. But as Isaiah prophesied, the king of Assyria, taste for power won't be sated and Judah would have to deal with Assyria for the next 30 years. In the book of Isaiah, we're going to see the conclusion of that 30 years and Joe's going to already was talking with me about it. It's going to be a wonderful message. So let me ask you today, what are you going to choose today? Are you going to choose God's way? Are you going to choose your way? I've said this before, but I think for some of us, it's time for us to take our hands off the wheel and say, as the great theologian Carrie Underwood said, Jesus, take the wheel. Friends, the most common command in the Bible is fear not. Did you know there are 366 fear nots? One for every day of the, of the year plus leap year. But the most frequent promise in the Bible is... I will be with you. I love that about the gospel, the biography that Matthew writes of Jesus' life because he begins and ends with that promise. When God in his redemptive form came to this earth as baby Jesus, he was named Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. And at the very end of his biography, he writes about Jesus' ascension. And Jesus said, Lo, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. From beginning to end, Matthew writes about God being with us. And friends, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you come from. Some of you almost didn't come today because of the decisions you made last night or the decisions that you made right before church today or the decisions you made sometime during this week. You think that you're too far from God for God to to bring you back into the fold. But I want you to understand that God loves you. There is nothing you can do to separate yourself from him. There is no place that you can go that he can't find you. And friends, he is a God of forgiveness and grace and second chances. He redeems, he redeems, he redeems, he redeems, and he wants to redeem your life. So wherever you are, he is there. Listen to what the psalmist writes. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest ocean, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. So don't let your worries about tomorrow steal your joys from today, friends. Because God is cheering for you. And whispering in your ear, even in the midst of your chaos, I am with you. I love you. Don't give up. We can do it together. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for your love and your grace. I just pray tonight, uh, today, Lord, that if there are those who are struggling, maybe somebody in this room today is, is wondering whether their life is worth living because of the mess that it is. God, I pray that you would bring us your peace. You... Would you just remind us of your presence today? Would you remind us uh, of your peace? Would you cover us with that and take away our fear, take away our anxiety, take away our depression? Would you strengthen us and lift us up from the chaos that rages around us? Jesus, thank you for loving us. We pray for your healing today. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.